0: Uh, to walk with him in obedience and lean upon him. Well, I appreciate the kind words that uh, uh, Pastor Scott has shared with me. You're you're about to soon see that uh, all that's for naught. Don't be impressed by any of that. Uh, I had a, a beloved friend accurately introduce me some time ago and say, say, Here's Brother Stu Tully, living proof that Balaam's donkey is not the only donkey the Lord can speak to. <laughs> <laughs> And that's true. He wasn't trying to be funny. I mean, I knew it was true, so strap yourselves in. I hope you have your Bible and, and a notebook to jot down some truths, not because anything I have to say is worth anything, but I, I dare say this message today uh, will be one that if you don't need it now desperately, before your life's over, you're going to need it. Um, it's been my great privilege to watch Scott, his brother Jeremy, uh, grow as godly young men, teenagers, Um, to grow to be godly husbands, fathers, and now servants of the Most High God uh, here in the mission field of Webb City, and also in Thailand now. uh, Their mom and dad, Terry and Sandy, are amongst our most treasured friends and most inspiring examples. I must tell you, thank you, not just for your prayers for my family recently, but uh, some of you know that three years ago, uh, after the killer tornado hit our city, that a work crew from here, uh, led by your pastor and others, came, some of the first responders that came uh, to help our city uh, recover and start rebuilding. And that was a great testimony of uh, the people of God coming together uh, to reach out to our community, both those that are saved and those who are lost. And so I thank God for that, and I want to thank you for that as well. Your, your influence and example has not been forgotten as we approach the third year, third anniversary of that terrible incident. It wasn't except. Uh, the fact that you guys have gone through your own killer tornado, here, your own tragedy, your own heartache that best prepares you to minister heart to heart with our people. And that's just another example of how God uses uh, the triumph of tragedy in our lives. I want to share with you today uh, about my story, my family's story, uh, uh, our journey to joy through heartache and suffering. I don't claim to be an expert on suffering or sorrow. Um, but I hope that I'm a student of, of learning more each day of the grace of God that sustains us. Uh, Scott mentioned that I've worked for 25 years as president of uh, a ministry called Global Harvest Missions. That in itself was birthed out of me going uh, through a two-year ordeal after car wreck, uh, that I had a closed head injury. I had learned how to talk and walk again, button my clothes, brush my teeth, tie my shoes, didn't know whether I would ever make any advances in that or not. It was one of the great times of despair in my life. Who's ever going to want a minister who can't talk or walk? Uh, There were times that with my closed head injury that I couldn't speak. Uh, The only person I could speak to was the Lord in prayer. Um, But, you know, God was faithful to use that to birth the ministry of Global Harvest Missions and to also prepare my family for what he has uh, taken us through, especially the last 10 years. Uh, Almost 10 years ago, uh, our oldest daughter, Ryan, gave birth to a precious little girl named Ellie Kay. The first two or three days of her life, uh, she was healthy off the avatar scale, and then uh, she literally crashed. She stopped breathing, and uh, just as uh, our daughter rushed her to the hospital, and uh, for the next eight months, she was on life support, and they couldn't diagnose uh, what her problem was. They knew it was a genetic disorder. And she was dying, and the doctors could do nothing for her. Uh, she was uh, born on my brother's birthday. And uh, for the next seven years and 19 days, we had little Ellie Kate with us. She couldn't talk or walk. Um, never, she could hop around on her little hands and knees like a little bunny rabbit, but oh, she could give us hugs. She lived in the hospital more than she did at home. And then on December 23rd, our youngest daughter's birthday, she breathed her last at her home in her mama's arms, in daddy's arms, as uh, my arms are around her. God was faithful during that time. God has been faithful since. um, And will be faithful in the future. Uh, You see, she has another little sister with the same terminal genetic disorder. The same affliction. Each day is a treasure that we enjoy and share with her. knowing it could be her last. And that one day soon, unless God intervenes, we'll say goodbye to her the same way. But in that refiner's fire, God has also chosen to allow my wife to experience uh, uh, crippling uh, problems with her spine. Uh, Debbie, the one you prayed for. Our daughter, Ryan, with um, a very painful chronic bladder disorder, that, that, that she's in constant pain all the time. And uh, another one of her children, uh, Henry Isaiah, uh, who does not was not born with the affliction, but he does have a, uh, a very serious uh, disorder called PANDAS, uh, in which his brain becomes inflamed uh, with streptococcal virus from time to time, and he has great outbursts of anger and personality changes. And uh, again, subject to God's will in his life, he'll, he'll be living with his parents the rest of his life. Um, where do you go when it seems like the whole world falls apart? Uh, when it seems like the last thing you think of at night or these crushingly painful problems and the first thing on your mind when you wake up is how are you going to deal with those next things? Well, I'm here to tell you that um, God wants to use our tragedies that come our way as Scott wisely said, Jesus said not to be surprised by this. Right? He said, "In this world, you're going to have trials and tribulations. Don't be don't be overcome by those. Fear not, because I've overcome the world. He is our hope. He is our salvation. He is our strength." Robert Murray McShane, a great uh, old Scottish preacher in the 1800, said, "There's great want about all Christians who have not suffered." Some flowers need to be bruised and broken before a brilliant fragrance is released. Um, again, we live in this culture of Americanized Christianity that somehow leads us to believe that if you just love Jesus, you'll never have any problems, you'll never have any uh, sickness, you'll not have any kids stray from the faith, there'll not be any divorce, disease, uh, you'll have uh, power and prosperity. The favor of God, which, of course, translates, that's code for money and, and power and comfort um, and Even one of the great gurus of that uh, uh, satanic uh, prose, Joel Olstein, wrote a best-selling book called Your Best Life Now. Y'all want your best life now? Not me. I'm looking forward to the one Are our trials and heartaches to be uh, avoided and evaded? Are they to be embraced as something that God gives us an opportunity to to learn to depend upon Him more, to rely on Him more, that His life might flow through us more, that we might uh, display and demonstrate the power of an eternally changed life? You know, when when people look at my family going through trials and and tragedies as we do, uh, and, and again, God is greater than that. He superintends those. Um, We don't want people to say, oh, what great people of faith they are, because we're not. We don't have great faith. We have small faith within a great God. We want them not to say, oh, what a a spiritually mature family this is. Oh, what a committed family they are. What we want them to say is, oh, what a wonderful Savior this Jesus must be. We want them to see the living transformation that Jesus lives out in our life every single day. It's my privilege to um, serve around the world in many countries, and I invite you to remember on on February 10th, uh, God brings me to mind uh, we'll be in Nepal, um, way up in the the, uh, Himalayan mountains, sharing the gospel in that Hindu nation. That's just enacted laws making sharing the gospel illegal. And we're going in to help train and equip the, the saints to get ready to go to prison for sharing their faith. So pray for us. But as I travel around the world, I see uh, healthy Christianity, not super sainthood, normal Christianity, where Jesus is everything to these people. What Jesus is, like these songs we sang, all that they need, all their heart, all their affection is Jesus. And I feel like we're we're in the remedial class here in the United States. We've got so much stuff that, that competes with us uh, for our affections. Job 15:7 um, Job says, Man is called to trouble and heartache just as certainly as the sparks fly upward. You know, suffering is a part of the Christian experience. When Jesus called his disciples in Matthew 5 um, 11 and 12, he said, Listen, blessed are you when, when people persecute you and, and ridicule you and you suffer for my name's sake. Rejoice and be glad, <laughs> leap for joy. When you're suffering pain and sorrow, do you feel like leaping and abounding in joy? That's a choice. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-17 says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Everything give thanks. Not, oh Lord, I love this pain. It's so terrible. But Lord, I don't like it. But I thank you for what you're doing to refine me. To draw me closer to you. To tear the things of the world away from me. 1 Peter four nineteen says, "Suffer those that suffer according to the will of God, need to continue trusting themselves to a faithful Creator. God's not called us to comfort." First Peter two twenty and twenty one says, "You are called for this purpose that you might suffer as your Lord, who gave you an example in righteousness to follow." Imagine that, called to suffer in the flesh. We're not going to respond to that. But in the Spirit, God will enable us to use that as and, and to see that as God's holy sandpaper, refining us, polishing us, growing us, maturing us. Y'all have to pardon me today. <clears throat> you guys are going to tell Scott, we're never going to have that elderly old missionary back again. First Peter 5.10 one of our anchors. After you've suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ himself will perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you.
1: For a little while,
0: even if our whole lifetime is fraught with suffering, compared to eternity, it's just a little while. Just a little while. I hope you'll take notes on uh, what I'm about to say. I'm going to give you several things, lessons that I'm learning about trials and suffering that I hope will benefit you. And not just benefit you, but enable you to be a blessing to others as well. The first is this. Trials test the strength of our faith. Now again, when the Bible talks about testing, it's not that God doesn't know. He knows all things. When God takes us through a painful test, it's to show us things to reveal to our hearts where we're at or where we're not at. Let me give you the example um, of Hezekiah. 2 Chronicles 32-31 says, God left him alone only to test him that he might know all that was in his heart. You know, shaking our fist in the face of God, demanding an answer why shows an immaturity. But when we are in the Spirit's power to be able to say, Lord, I, I can't even breathe. I can't even take the the next step, and I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you to use this for your glory and for my good. That takes faith. That's mature faith. Remember Habakkuk? That's another example in the Old Testament. God revealed to him that the hordes of Babylon were going to come in and take uh, Israel captive, was going to decimate the temple, uh, the the temple was going to uh, put them into bondage for hundreds of years, and he couldn't escape it. Couldn't escape it. He saw it coming. Knew it was coming, but he couldn't escape it. And he says this, in a very off-quoted verse. Habakkuk 3, 17, 16 through 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom, there be no fruit on the vine; so the yield of the olive tree should fail and the fields produce no food. Though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls. Yet will I will in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. And he has made my feet like pine feet, like mountain goats, and makes me walk on my high places. He'll enable you to do things and endure things that you never thought possible as you trust him. Habakkuk was comforted and strengthened in remembering that God's sovereignty and wisdom allows us to remember that he's in absolute control of our lives. <clears throat> It blesses my heart when I hear my grandsons, my two healthy grandsons. When they become aware of pain and sorrow and hurt or tragedy or crisis in our family, we hear them repeating what they've heard us say over and over again. But, poppy God's bigger. God's bigger. God's greater. We can trust him. Mm-hmm. Oh, how we need to learn that. The example of Job, there was none that, that had the opportunity or need to ask questions about what was happening in his life more, more than Job. You know, he said this in Job 42, 5-6. through Before I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. This is a man of righteousness, a man who had surrendered to the Lord, a man known for his holiness and obedience to the Lord and love to the Lord. And yet, He was allowed sovereignly by God to suffer, to demonstrate God's faithfulness to him and through him to others. How about the example of Abraham in the Old Testament? Um, He's the, he's the, the, the father of all faith, the father of our belief, the father of our salvation. The covenant was given to Abraham. The covenant of salvation that we sang about earlier was given to Abraham and his offspring, physical and spiritual offspring. The Bible says when we come to know Christ, we're adopted into Abraham. That covenant was given to him. Here was an elderly man, no children, uh, ordered by the Lord. Uh, He and his wife were beyond the childbearing years, and God says, I'm going to give you a son, and through him all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. The Messiah is going to come from you. And he looked forward to this for many, many years. And then his son, Isaac, was born. Then one day God said to him, I want you to take your son, your only son. Now, he had a physical son by Hagar, uh, Sarah's handmaid, but God didn't recognize him as his son. Take your son, your only son, and offer him up to me. What? Lord, you told me that this was the son of promise, that he was going to be a father of many nations, that through his loins would come the Messiah. I want you to offer him up as a sacrifice, as a burnt sacrifice. Kill him and offer him to me. Can you imagine the questions and the torment that he went through? The three days he took two young uh, uh, male servants and his son, the wood, the donkeys, went to Mount Moriah, which by the way is the plateau where Jesus was crucified on. At the northern end of it, outside the Damascus Gate, where Jesus was crucified, not on on Calvary, not on... uh, uh, Gal, 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 but in front of the place of the skull, the very same place. The very same place. God said, offer him. Abraham said something really strange. He said to the, the servants, he said, if you stay here, the young lad and I are going up to worship, and after we're finished worshiping, we'll come back to you every time. Now he was still on planning on, on killing his son and burning his body as a burnt offering, but later on we see in Hebrews, that the scripture says very clearly that Abraham was rewarded for his faith because he believed that God was even able to raise the dead. They've never seen that before. He trusted God to raise his son and keep his promise. That's a crisis of our faith, isn't it? That God brings us to a point that God says, are you going to trust me or are you going to trust your feet?" Are you going to trust your circumstances, your bank account, your social status in the neighborhood, uh, your position of authority and and, uh, influence and and popularity or even power in your business? Are you going to be willing to trust me? Trust me and trust my promises. Abraham believed the Lord and he was rewarded for it. Here's the second lesson I'm learning. I hope you'll learn it soon. Trials are intended to humble us. You know, Paul was the most honored and blessed of all believers. Uh, not only was he given apostolic power, and by the way, the only ones that had uh, power to do signs and wonders and miracles were the apostles. And it's clear in, in the scripture that, that God brought an end to that. Now listen to me very carefully. Are you saying, Brother Stu, God does still do miracles? God still does miracles. They're very rare, but he can do whatever he wants to but there are no more miracle workers. Do you hear me? These charlatans like Benny Hinn and others that claim to have miracle working power, that ceased. We don't need that any longer. God does miracles. We pray for miracles. We should look to the Lord for miracles. But there are no more given the ability to have miracles. And even in Paul's life, we see the time came that he lost this miracle working power in the Scripture. But Paul was honored because uh, more than any other Christian, his words were used to affect the the spread of the gospel like nobody else. And on five stated occasions in the New Testament, Paul got to speak to Jesus face to face. Would that puck you up? I think I'd be a little prideful about that. You know, if a disagreement came at church conference or something, somebody didn't see things the way I did, I'd have a tendency to say, well, uh, Just how many times has Jesus talk to you face-to-face? You know, throw out that popularity card with the Lord. Paul said, in order to humble me, God sent a messenger of Satan. That, that Greek word for messenger, uh, or uh, for thorn in the flesh that this messenger of Satan was all about, the word for thorn there is not like a pinprick, it's the word death state, stalax for my flesh, a thorn for my flesh to keep me from exalting myself. God gave me this. Some think it was malaria. Some think it was an eye disease. That Clearly, Galatians 4 and 6 talks about Paul having this eye disease. I believe it was that, but I believe it's also the head of the insurrection that constantly condemned Paul, criticized him, undermined his ministry, said he wasn't a godly man. Three times Paul called to the Lord, Lord, this is too painful. I can't take it. Please remove this. Three times the Lord said, my grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. And Paul stopped asking. Triumph, sorrow, pain come to humble us. Listen to me, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ. Living in desperate dependence upon Jesus is right where he wants us to be in the first place. Amen. I mean, that's where he wants us to be. Trusting him for our next breath that he would be our all in all. That he would be our chief joy, our chief passion. Here in America, we 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 make it sound like a joint venture, you know. You add Jesus to your life. And forgive me. Again, if I haven't already ruined any opportunity for invitation to come back, I'm on around run with this. You know, here in America, we talk about inviting Jesus into your heart. The Bible never talks about inviting Jesus into your heart. There's not one scripture that talks about that. You know, adding him to your life. It's total surrender absolute, unconditional surrender. Jesus will not call to sa- as Savior those He cannot command as Lord. Do you understand what I'm saying? The New Testament refers to Jesus as Savior only 28 times. It refers to Him as Lord, Kurios, Boss, King, Supreme. Over 747 times. Oh dear friends, listen to me. Jesus has to be Lord of all or He's not Lord at all in our life. And that's the goal of our growth and sanctification in this life is more and more we're able to to say, like John the Baptist did, he must increase, but I must decrease. Listen, the scripture says that this humbling is exactly what what Jesus' life was known for. The two characteristics of Jesus most um, ardent that we should uh, have affection for is his holiness and his humility. That's what Christians should be known for. Not some arrogant white suit walker that says, oh, I really have the anointing. I really have the anointing. Don't touch me. Yeah, I have the anointing. Or best-selling authors. Listen, it's the character of Jesus. Holiness and humility that distinguished Him and should distinguish those that say they love Him and follow Him. When we are blessed in a position of spiritual service like I am to see God at work around the world on the front lines. It should be the most normal thing in the world for me to, to remember and my family to remember that we are privileged. And so we we're going to undergo maybe much more suffering than, than, than the average Christian family would. I tell you what, you get serious, you get serious about following Jesus. You get serious about following the Lord. You get serious about giving him his rightful prominence in your life. And not that we've ride, we're, we're just still growing in that area. But you get serious about that, and I mean all the hordes of hell will be allowed to to, to just come in and start battering you over the head, the shoulders, and the back to try to discourage you. But the enemy can't do anything in our lives that God doesn't sovereignly superintend for our good. And again, to demonstrate His glory. Here's the fourth lesson I'm learning. Trials call us to an eternal hope. You know, I've got to tell you, I I get more and more homesick for heaven every day. When I'm around other other Christians, or, Scott, I do uh, funerals like you and attend others who who are near death or passing away, and you you talk to other family members about that who claim to be Christians and may very well be, and they say, Oh, I'm, I'm ready to go to heaven, just not today. Are you kidding me? What in this world? What relationship? What friendship? What possession? could be worth one second in heaven. Where is your heart? Is it here or is it in heaven? Trials sometimes show us that our affections are unfortunately attached to things in this world instead of heavenly things. God wants us to, to, to move our affections away from, from, from the here and now to the ultimate. That's the, that's the third lesson. God wants us to, to wean ourselves away from anything that would draw us Uh, anything that would amuse us, anything that would would draw our curiosity to it here that competes with our love for Him. Listen to me, friends. It seems like those that have the greatest love for Jesus and greatest freedom uh, in Him are those that own the the least amount of worldly possessions. Now, it's not a sin uh, to have money. It's not a sin to be uh, blessed with wealth or influence. Uh, The question is not what do you have, but what has you? Amen. What controls you? What's your greatest affection? Uh, We want to know that God is uh, pleased with us, that our affections are less and less in the things of the world and more and more in uh, the things of heaven, where our real eternal hope is, according to um, this fourth thing that I've learned, and I hope you learn, This is where our hope is. This week I was brought uh, face to face again along with Debbie, that she might breathe her last. When my two daughters were there and we were praying over her and talking to her as that vent was breathing for her and she's unconscious. We said, Lord, if this is it, we thank you for the time that that we've had uh, with Debbie here. We thank you for um, the hope that we have in heaven no more. That if we say goodbye to her here, we know we're going to see her again in heaven. One of the precious verses that sustains us in the loss of our little granddaughter is John 16, 22. Where Jesus says, you too now have grief, but I will see you again. And your joy will be made full. And no man will be able to take your joy from you. 1 John 2.15 says, don't love the world or the things of the world. Don't get wrapped up in joy, what God's given us here, the material blessings, the opportunities, the freedoms, but don't get bound up in them. Don't let them control your, your heart and your affections." Beyond all the sufferings of this life, awaits a glorious future. Where we see our Master face to face. Sometimes I've heard well meaning evangelists say, I want to be your greatest day, your greatest experience if you give your life to Christ today. Well, that may be the most formative decision and commitment you can make in your life. But our greatest day will be when we see our Master face to face. This morning, our brother was greeting me. In and uh, said, how are you doing? I said, uh, I'm one day closer to the finish line. One day close to seeing my master face to face. That should be our joy. That should be our expectation. Lord, I want to be ready. I want to be investing my life, not spending my life. I want to be investing my life for you and the things that, that please you, the things that exalt you, the things that honor you. This is what I want my life to count for. Trials have a tendency to do us with the surpassing love and affection for that which is eternal. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal way of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not as the things which are seen, but the things which are seen. Uh, for the things which are seen are only temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Here's number five. This will rapidly draw to a close. The fifth lesson that I'm learning is that uh, trials reveal what we really love. What we really love. What upsets you the most when people inconvenience your schedule? When people take your rightful position, the, the promotion you thought you should have had, what do you really love? When it all boils down to, and some of you can testify to this louder, with greater power than I, is your faith in Jesus Christ, your family, and your friends. Those are the only things worth anything in this, in this life. Matthew 6, 21, Jesus reminds us, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Set your heart on the things above. Set your mind on the things above, the Scripture says, where Christ is, where Christ is seen. Luke 14, 26-27. If anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. There's no fine print in the Christian contract. It's all or nothing. It doesn't mean that we're to hate our our family. This is just a metaphor saying that that our love for Jesus should be so far surpassing any other relationship, any other affectation for any other people or thing that it compares as hate to love. Here's the sixth lesson I'm learning. Trials teach us to treasure God's blessings. What do you think Paul's greatest blessing is? You remember when, what the Holy Spirit said about him, what the Lord said about him when he was first uh, saved and called to the ministry? He had, he had a great uh, follow-up program in three years in the desert with the Holy Spirit, which was pretty intense. But uh, the Lord said, I'm going to show him, Paul, how much he's going to have to suffer for my sake. He's my chosen instrument. He's going to testify before the sons of Israel and kings. But I'm going to show him all that he's going to suffer for my sake. What do you think Paul's greatest joy was? Oh, he said said that I might have these great tent meetings, that I might have a network, but I might speak to thousands where I can just talk to millions about the the gospel. You know what he said? That I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being more conformed daily to the image of his death. That was his great desire. Is it yours? Is it mine? God wants it to be. Luke 22, 39-34. Jesus was the best example of obedience. Uh, he didn't want to go through. Uh, it wasn't just the crucifixion. You know, sometimes we talk, Scott, uh, don't we, about uh, all that Jesus suffered on the cross. And he said, oh, that this help my pass from my lips. Listen, he, he, he wasn't looking forward to suffering torture, indescribable, immeasurable torture, on the cross, what he was saying was, "Father, I don't want to be separated from you. I don't want to be separated. From, I don't want this. I'm I'm ready to take the sins of the world as you decided but I don't want to be separated from you. I don't want to suffer hell, literally, and judgment, which is, by the way, oh, the only thing you and I deserve from God is His judgment and wrath." Amen. But Jesus endured that separation on the cross, obedient even to the point of death. Because He loved His Father above all things. Loved us. Here's number seven. Trials enable us to be a blessing to others in the midst of their suffering. You know, the Scripture says that that our Lord is the Father of all mercies and the God of all comforts. And the comfort that He gives us, He enables us to share with others. Uh, We're able to comfort them with the same comfort that we receive. Uh, You never look forward to being in a fraternity uh, like us, uh, of other families with children with undiagnosed and, and catastrophic and terminal uh, diseases, but you know we're able to witness to them. So many of them don't know Jesus. So many of them don't have any hope. Even this this week in, in the intensive care unit, other families three three nights next to us, the the patient that was in there died. Another patient came in and died. Another patient came in and died. Another patient came in and died we were able to minister to those families, share our hope with them, share the comfort of the cross with them. If if we hadn't been in that that same situation, we could never have extended the comfort of the Lord to them. God wants every Christian to know that we're entrusted with the responsibility of helping others go through trials. Let me remind you of this passage that I alluded to a minute ago. 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of all mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as our sufferings in Christ are abundant, so is our comfort abundant through the Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful experience to pass on the comfort that we had to, to share with those 20 Jesus has helped me through that. One of the tragedies of uh, the tornado was, you all know, a, a grade school was struck. And seven precious little children lost their life. And uh, when the coroner came to give the word to the waiting families that their children had perished, our daughter Ryan and Mike were there to counsel those families. I've been able to say, we just lost our daughter three months ago. Let us tell you how Jesus helped. These families, devastated, weeping. We've lost everything. We've lost our cars, our house. We don't even have any clothes to bury our children in. We, we, don't know, we don't even know a pastor that can officiate. Ryan said, I know a man. And it was my privilege, not only to officiate. There were more services, but to share the gospel. With those families, I wish I could tell you all of them had come to know Christ. They have, we're still ministering to them, several have. But we would not have been able to have that inroad with them, that heart-to-heart contact uh, with them, unless we had suffered tragedy ourselves along the similar lines. Here's number eight and finally. Trials produce endurance and strength. 17th century Puritan theologian Thomas Manton said, While all things are quite uncomfortable, we live by our senses rather than by faith. But the true worth of a soldier is never known in times of peace. It's in the crucible of crisis that our life is most clearly demonstrated. The people can see we serve the living God. Well, I'll close with this. Job 5.18, in his suffering, Job said, he inflicts pain, And he gives relief. His hands wound, and they also heal. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who himself was no stranger to suffering, rejection, persecution, said, I've learned to kiss the wave that dashes me against the rock of ages. I've learned, he said, to, to embrace, to welcome, to, to love any circumstance that forces me in crisis, closer to the rock of ages, that he of Kings the Lord Christian, take hope and encouragement in these words. God will always be there for those who belong to Him. He's promised never to leave us or forsake us. He knows what He's doing, even when we don't. It doesn't matter how hard we hold on to Him, He's clinging to us safely and securely. You can trust Him. If you're here today without Jesus Christ, um, I, I want to tell you this. Just because you're hurting and in heartache, that's not enough to come to Jesus. You see, that's not enough to come to knowing as Lord and Savior. It's enough to make you aware of your need for Christ. But Jesus came to save sinners. All of us are sinners and separated from God. He is holy and we're not. We're rebellious sinners and our sin separates us from God. And no matter how many good things we try to do, we cannot remove the sin. From That's why God sent His Son to die on the cross to pay for our sins and purchase for us a place of forgiveness in heaven for all those who would repent of their sins and surrender their lives to Jesus Christ. This is the message of the cross. That this life doesn't have to be the end. There doesn't have to just be suffering and sorrow in your life. You can rejoice because you have a home in heaven. You can rejoice because you have a new life and a new heart and, and a new relationship with God through Jesus Christ. In just a moment... Pastor Scott is going to come and and talk to you and give you an opportunity to make that commitment of your life. I pray you'll know him. I pray you'll surrender your life to him. Life's not worth living apart from the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let's pray together. Lord, take the truth of these feeble words, your mighty words, offered feebly, and uh, drive them deep into the hearts of, of everyone here, Lord, to the saints first and those without you second. Lord, honor yourself strengthen your church, comfort your church, give this church a new refinement in their focus on what's important, why we're here, to share the message of the cross with others. And what if there's even one here that doesn't know you, may, may today be the day of your salvation. May now be the appointed time they step into your kingdom, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name.